It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Loose puck swept along the boards. Doherty chips it out to center. Back into the Greenville zone. The horn sounds. The Indy Fuel win it 4-3 to three for the third time this season. And the second time in nine days, the Fuel rally from a third period deficit to pick up a huge win over the Greenville Swamp Rabbits 4-3. to three. Those are the final seconds of the Indy Fuel Saturday night victory over the Greenville Swamp Rabbits, which put the Fuel in a really good spot headed into the season's final five weeks. Welcome to another edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. We're headed into the final month of the season. Fifteen games remain for the Fuel, who enter the week in the final playoff spot in the ECHL Central Division, seven points ahead of fifth-place Wheeling, and eight ahead of sixth-place Kalamazoo. The Fuel are also four points back of third-place Fort Wayne. That sets up a huge two-game weekend for the Fuel coming up this weekend as they take on Wheeling at 7.05 p.m. Thursday, March 5th. That's an all-you-can-eat night. Then Friday night, March 6th, the Fuel hosts the Toledo Walleye, a team Indy has had a lot of success against this season for a 7.35 p.m. face-off on Faith and Family Night. Last weekend began with a visit from the surging Kalamazoo Wings. It turned into an incredible goaltender's duel between old friend Jake Hildebrand and the Fuel's Dan Bacala. They matched each other save for save for 60 minutes of regulation and 7 more minutes of overtime, with neither one giving way. Bacala made 35 saves, including a few of the spectacular variety. Nick Olchek joins me on the call. Justin Kovacs hitting the trailer, looking for the tip from Sanford, and Dan Bacala robs him in front as Sanford was on the doorstep on a weak side shorthanded bid. And now the K-Wings get in behind the D, Blaney, and all alone, and Bacala with a save in the breakaway. Justin Taylor, a rink-wide pass for Tevis across the fuel line. Tevis, top of the left-wing circle for Taylor on goal. Bacala with a glove save, and he holds on. Taylor tried to tip it high, and Bacala plucked it out of the air and gets a whistle with 2.48 to go in overtime of a scoreless game between the Indy Fuel and Kalamazoo Wings. If you bought a ticket to tonight's game, or if you're viewing and listening to this broadcast, I mean, you have been thoroughly entertained, and I can't remember a more entertaining game without a single goal in it. It was Bacala's first career shutout, but victory would elude the fuel as Jake Hildebrand made 32 saves in the Kalamazoo net for his sixth career shutout, four of which came as a member of the fuel three seasons ago. In the shootout, Spencer Watson scored for Indy, but Kalamazoo tallied twice in its three attempts to skate away with the extra point. Indy did come away from that game with a critical standings point and a shutout from Bacala, who joined the Fuel on New Year's Day after playing six and a half seasons in Europe. He was the MVP of the British Elite Ice Hockey League in 2014, and then won Hockey's Champions League with Frölunda in Sweden in 2017. He played several years in Sweden, also played in Germany, and a number of other places in Europe. I had a chance to catch up with a Fuel Netminder before Saturday night's game. First of all, Dan, uh, your first uh, shutout in North America um, in the ECHL last night. To just kind of describe what that game was like, and even though uh, it ended up going to a shootout, uh, just what it was like to play it as high of a level as you did last night. Well, I wouldn't say I was playing at a high level. Um, as a team, we really kind of 
everybody was connecting. We, mm-hmm. we weren't, uh, it wasn't going in for us, but it, it was just uh, kind of, I don't know, it just seemed like we were doing something all the time and everything was going well. When the guys are playing that well in front of you, how easy does that make your job? Yeah, extremely easy. Um, it's just, it's just assignments. It's the game is easier to read for everybody, so it's kind of, kind of like one of those things that we have to keep going. Seven minutes of three on three with the number of two on ones and breakaways you deal with in overtime. What's that like for a goaltender? Um, I mean, they happen all the time, so. It's not uh, nothing new. Um, obviously, in overtime, it seems like a higher pressure kind of thing, mm-hmm. but I mean, it is what it is, so you just kind of put it in your head. You've been here for a couple of months. What has it been like being a part of this team, and what have you enjoyed most about being an Indy? Um, uh, just coming to the rink every day has been the best part. Um, we're all striving for the same goal. We're all pulling on the same rope, and uh, the whole time I've been here, it's like the happiest when you're at the rank. Cause the guys are great, coaches are great, uh, the owners great. Like everything about this has been just everybody fighting for the same thing, and then we're also having fun. What was it that brought you here? Uh, how did you end up getting connected with the fuel? Um, I was just looking for something, and I think it was luck. Um, I knew Doug from before, but I actually didn't know that he was he was coaching here. And I just, I think it's just like circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's just things just happen. It had been a few years since you'd played in Tulsa, played in the Central League. How much have things changed since? Those seven years that you'd been in Europe in, uh, you know, at this level, couldn't tell you because uh, I had it was just different personally. So it's hard to kind of see from the outside. I wasn't there for very long, so I mean, obviously they're different leagues, mm-hmm. and for sure it has the league has gotten uh, better, stronger, mm-hmm. faster. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what uh, what the difference. What was the biggest adjustment? I know the rink size is a little bit different. What was the biggest adjustment coming back to North America midseason? Um. Oh, it was just playing again, mm-hmm. and then it, it really is just kind of the style of the game, and then again rink size, rink size. So. Playing different angles, or guys are in more threatened positions more often. So it's just a, an adjustment of kind of being more prepared all the time, and it's not so much a perimeter game. Mm-hmm. Your first year in Europe, you uh, were the EIHL's goaltender of the year, the league MVP. Just describe what that year was like and uh, how you were able to have the success you had right away. Um. We were misfits on that team. <laughs> uh, we were a bunch of nobodies that, that liked to play. And 
we just went out and played. Um, the stuff that happened after, like we did, we had like we had no idea. We weren't going for like conference champions. Mm-hmm. We weren't. We weren't like we'd come into the rink and be like, we just won a bunch in a row. Like it, it was never like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just like our focus was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Our focus was just on the game. So I think that's that's usually a big part of uh, success anyway. And then you had a chance to play with a championship team with the Florida a few years later. What is it like to be a part of a championship team, especially a continental championship as you won in Europe? Uh, pretty special. It's kind of you don't. It's tough because the Champions League isn't um, hasn't been around for that long, mm-hmm. and it's 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 more like league achievements that that you're looking for. But but I know like looking back. You, you kind of do appreciate what, where, what you, what you've been doing, and, and how you know how we did as a team. What's it like to play in Sweden, play in Germany, and the passion of the fans? I mean, uh, everywhere is different. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, the fans there are awesome. The, I mean, you check them out on YouTube. They're just the chanting, the songs that they have, their team songs of, is the following. It's just there's so much history there and so much uh, pride in organizations and within the fans. So it's, it's it's just a great experience everywhere. Again, that's our chat with Dan Bacala after his shutout on Friday night. Leap Day saw the first ever visit by the Greenville Swamp Rabbits to the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, and it turned into a classic nail-biter. The fuel jumped out to an early lead with the captain, Craig Wisimerski, blasting the puck into the net. Rockwood's going to bring it out to neutral ice where Van Strahlen sends it right back to the line. Soderlund gains the zone. Soderlund in the high slot, waits for reinforcements since Wisimerski. He tees up a slap shot, fires and scores! Craig Wisimerski! From just above the top of the left wing circle, rips a slap shot that broke through Heldick and gives the fuel a one to nothing lead. Matthew Fogut made an incredible play, providing back pressure in the middle of the ice. He forces the turnover, got some support from Tim Soderlin. And Soderlin makes a great pass to Craig Wismierski, who just blows this one. Right at Jeremy Helvig. He launched that one, and Helvig got about 85% of that puck. And the remaining 15% that he did not get found its way to the back of the net, but it's that... Alex Router had a fantastic night for the fuel. He was one of two players who returned to the lineup this weekend after long absences. Router had missed eight games, while defenseman Tim Shoup had missed 21. Both returned on Friday night and made their presence felt all weekend. Shoup on the back end... Router on Saturday night by providing two goals. The first came as an unassisted tally in the second period, giving the Fuel a 2 to nothing lead. Keone Texera lobs it out to center. Stopped by Diffley, but turned over. Here come the Fuel into the zone. Alex Router into the slot. Fires and scores! Alex Router rips one past Helvig as he took it right down Main Street. He beat Helvig on the blocker side. And the Fuel take a 2 to nothing lead. Alex Router is second game coming back from the injury. Forced a turnover in the neutral zone. And he used the defenseman as a screen. Alex Router moving to the right. Shoots back against the grain. It was a one-on-three situation. So I love this selection of shooting the puck. Greenville went three for five on the power play in the second period to take the lead from the Fuel. 
and Indy had just won twice this season when trailing in the third, and Greenville had never lost in regulation when leading after two this season. That all changed in a 16-second span when Router and Joe Sullivan both cashed in. Watson feeds to Router, takes to the slot, fires and scores! Alex Router ties the game at three as he took an indirect feed from Spencer Watson, gained the zone with speed, took it right to goal, and ripped it past Helvig for his second goal of the game. And a big one for the Indy Fuel as we're all knotted up. Well, I think it's safe to say that Alex Router is back. He has had himself a heck of a game. Watch this little move. Out wide right, cut to the middle. He cuts through two Greenville Swamp Rabbit players, a back checker and a defenseman. And he beats Jeremy Helvig to the blocker's side all in one motion. He didn't stick candle. He made the move. He got the quick shot away, and the Fuel tied it. Fuel right back to action. Sullivan sends one through the slot. Couldn't find a friendly stick. Held in by Jack Ramsey at the right point. Here's a turnaround. Shot to goal! The Fuel take a 4-3 lead as the puck was ripped from the top of the right wing circle right through Helvig by Joe Sullivan. And just like that, two goals in 16 seconds. The Fuel have taken the lead back at 4-3. What a start to the period. Joe Sullivan shot through a mess of bodies. He's the one that starts this play. Takes it wide, throws it to the net. Can't connect on the pass to Cliff Watson. Kept in at the point. Joe Sullivan works himself wide into an open area. And launches this puck at the net. I think that's a goal Jeremy Helvig is going to want to have back. He had a decent look at it. Not a great look, but a decent look. Just a lot to love there for Joe Sullivan. I think he's had a whale of a game. The Greenville win was also a big one for Fuel goaltender Chase Marchand, who tallied his first victory in net since November 29th. He made this save early in the first period to keep the game tied and set the tone for the Fuel's victory. Pass doesn't connect cleanly with Pecoraro. He reverses course, backhands it into the slot. Tip on goal, and Marchand makes an incredible save on the second deflection to rip it out of the air and keep this a one to nothing game. Alex Router with two goals in that game. Chatted with me on Sunday. Router has done a fantastic job since coming to the Fuel, tallying 19 points in 24 games, playing up and down the lineup, and really playing in all situations. First of all, Alex, two goals last night. How good has it been to get back into the lineup this weekend and then to score two really big goals and a big win for you Saturday night? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, obviously, uh, like you said, coming back this weekend, I was, you know, obviously a little a little out of shape and you need to get back into it. But, uh, you know, the team played great. You know, we played good defensively so far the first two games. And, uh, you know, I think if we keep that going and stick to the game plan, we'll be good for today. How important is that transition? Your first goal came off of a really nice play in the neutral zone, your second off of a stretch pass. How important is it to win the neutral zone and make things happen in transition? It's huge, obviously. I mean, you know, we want to control their team. Obviously, uh, Greenville has a pretty good team offensively. And, you know, they like to take their liberties on the rush. And I think, you know, we need to play well, you know, like you said, defensively and pick those off and then we'll go the other way. How hard was it for you to be out for those eight games and uh, itching to get back on the ice? It was tough. You know, watching every game from home is obviously not fun. And, you know, all you want to do is help out the guys. And I think, uh, you know, I think we're all playing for each other and it really shows out there. How have things changed for you since coming to Indy? You've got 19 points in 22 games, and really seems like your season has really taken off since you've come here. 
I think it's just the group that we have, you know, starting from the coaches and the staff here. Everyone, uh, you know, they make it easy to play. You know, we all we play to the system. We have a game plan, and, you know, everyone works really hard. And so, you know, you can't ask for more than that. Uh, you're seeing a few familiar faces from Wheeling last year on the other side tonight. I think they've got three or four former teammates of yours. What's it like to play against former teammates? It's always fun, you know. It's, uh, I guess, a little chippy with uh, LaCroix <laughs> out there. But, you know, with Diffley's hair, you know, it's hard to miss him. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's fun. Uh, just uh, describe how much your game has improved from year one to year two here in your second year as a pro. Uh, and I think a lot of it is just confidence. You know, you realize you have a little more time than you think. And, uh, you know, if you can find a group like this, you know, with chemistry from all the guys I play with in Manchester and everyone, and, you know, it just, like I said, yeah, you get a little more confident and uh, it just helps every game. How nice is it too to have chemistry with your line mates you've played up and down the lineup with this team but to, to develop chemistry with some talented guys on your wings it's awesome yeah it's incredible you know especially when you know when you're not even looking and you can hear the guy calling for it and you know exactly where he wants it so you know stuff like that and you know when guys can just find you and the other team least expects it it's good you know, Doug went out and made a trade for you how good is it for a player to know he's wanted you know know that uh, somebody who coached you in the past went out to try to get you and bring you into the lineup yeah it's awesome uh, you know obviously it's a great feeling but I think most importantly it's just coming into a, a winning place you know mm-hmm. a place that knows what they're doing and knows the direction they want to go and you know for me I was really fortunate to end up here you know from where I came from in four years at Cornell captain your senior year uh, on a really good team a conference regular season championship team how did that experience help prepare you for the professional game oh a lot obviously you know the coaching staff over there is tremendous as well mm-hmm. coach Schaefer you know he prides himself on the defensive play and that helps me especially pro because you know it's a, lot, a little more uh, run and gun out here you know, there's a lot more chances so it kind of helps me you know break up plays and go the other way I guess uh, one of the highlights from your time at Cornell a penalty shot at Madison Square Garden <laughs> and you're the first since Joe Newendike to do it uh, what was that like that was incredible you know it was, a, it was a great game I still remember that we were playing UNH and I actually was teammates with the goalie <laughs> in midget <laughs> hockey so you know that, that was a fun time and uh, you know I'll always remember my time at Cornell fondly we had a lot of good uh, regular season stuff like you said but making NCAA tournament a couple times going to ECAC finals a couple times and you know all those games against Harvard were awesome and yeah you have those opportunities to play in the NCAA tournament also play at places like Madison Square Garden you know what is that like for a college player to get those opportunities yeah it's really unique obviously you know talking to all the college guys here not everyone gets that mm-hmm. you know and so I try to tell the younger guys when I was at school you know you got to cherish it you know you got to make make those opportunities count and you know I think they're off to a good run this year I think they're you know first or second in the country and they're looking to make a run so you know shout out to Cornell and it's uh, this time of year to the college guys you're keeping an eye on your alma maters is there a little bit of talking back and forth in the dress Room. Yeah, definitely. You know, we have a ton of ECAC guys in here. Obviously, mm-hmm. Coach uh, Christensen went to Union, and then we have Shoop and Sully and all those guys who eat in the ECAC. So it's cool. What are your goals for the rest of the year? Uh, you know, I think we just want to finish as high as we can in the, in the standings. You know, obviously we're uh, kind of gunning for that second, and third spot, and you know, I think if we keep playing the way we are, I think we'll get it. What was talked about in the second intermission last night that you guys really came out flying in the third period? Obviously, your goal tied it up, and then Joe on the next shift gives you the lead. You know, what did you guys talk about that helped set the stage for that third period last night? First and foremost, we just kind of wanted to stick to our game plan. You know, as long as we you know played well defensively and we stayed out of the box, I think that was huge because as everyone saw, five on five, we really dominated, mm-hmm. and so we're going to look to do that again tonight. And that was our chat with Alex Router. On Sunday, Bobby McIntyre was the fuel star, scoring twice to give Indy leads of 2 to nothing and 3-1. to one. Skates into the top of the circle, over to McPherson. 
low. Pellick whistles one through the crease. Lively Karam comes out to Bobby McIntyre. He's got a step to the forehand. He scores! Bobby McIntyre out of the penalty box on a partial breakaway. He took it up the right side after hopping on a loose puck. Beat everybody to the net front and beats Bednard to make it 2 to nothing. Bobby McIntyre with a beautiful goal using his speed to give Indy a quick two-goal lead. Out of the box and onto the score sheet for Bobby McIntyre. When you're in the penalty box, you are just sitting there dreaming and praying that you're able to get a breakaway out of the box. And it was more of an untraditional play. It's not like the puck came right to Bobby McIntyre. He had to kind of circle back towards his own zone. The puck was rimmed around the boards on the far side. And all the defensemen were caught flat-footed. Indy wins the initial draw. Teixeira has it at the left point. Over to the right side, Spencer Watson back to Teixeira center point. Left side, Bobby McIntyre fires and scores! Bobby McIntyre from the left circle. Ripped one. Left side on Bednard and the fuel lead at 3-1. to one. A power play goal for Bobby McIntyre, his second goal of the game. It took just 13 seconds of the power play for Bobby McIntyre to cash in and Indy leads it 3-1. to one. It looks like McIntyre looked off the defender and then found a lane to the goal. And he did a nice little curl and drag move. Pull that puck in towards his body and just launch it right at the net. But Greenville rallied with two third period goals to take a 4-3 victory. Despite the Sunday loss, it was a fruitful weekend for the Fuel who gained three huge standings points on Wheeling and set up this weekend Thursday night's meeting with the Nailers is one of four remaining head-to-head matchups between the teams. The Fuel will also face Toledo on Friday night, the first of five meetings in the last 15 games between the Fuel and Walleye. Indy will then have a big break before a big four games and five nights stretch, which starts Wednesday, March 11th in Kalamazoo. That stretch sees a pair of home games, Friday, March 13th against Wichita, and Sunday, March 15th against Kalamazoo, with a trip to Wheeling sandwiched in between. On this edition of Under the Hood, we have a pair of more guests to share with you. Last week was a significant anniversary in U.S. hockey history, the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. The 1980 gold medal winning USA hockey team beating the Russians 4-3 to and then knocking off Finland, coming from behind in the third period to win 4-2 to to clinch the gold medal on a Sunday morning in Lake Placid in that round-robin tournament, and it's widely known, had the U.S. lost that game, it may not have even meddled, and the Soviets would have won gold, but that victory clinched the gold for the U.S., and really one of the great moments in not just American hockey history, but American sports history as well. The Fuel have a connection to that team as defenseman Jack Ramsey's father, Mike Ramsey, was the youngest member of Team USA in 1980. Jack Ramsey and I had a chance to catch up and talk about both his season this year with the Fuel and his family's role in one of America's greatest sporting moments. First of all, Jack, entering a big 3-3 three and three this weekend here at home. How good is it to be at home, and um, especially coming off the way you guys played last weekend with a win in Kalamazoo and a good performance in Fort Wayne? Yeah, it's really nice it's Really nice to get back home and in front of these fans. They they give us a different kind of energy mm-hmm. when we're on the ice for sure, and we've seen that throughout the season. I um, feel like we haven't been home in, in a while, so um, we, we have to take uh, take use of the opportunity to get three games in our building, and um, obviously it's, it's a huge 
huge stretch for the playoffs. You had a brief call up this week to Rockford. Uh, just describe your opportunity to go up there, practice, and uh, what they've uh, what they like in your game. Yeah, quick, quick up and back. Uh, got the opportunity to go to to uh, Texas with them for a few days, but it's just good to to see um, you know what it's like one level uh, above the, the ECHL, obviously in the AHL, and just um, see how guys treat their bodies and treat the game out there, um, and what you need to do to to maintain yourself to try to get to that level. As your rookie year has gone on, I think we've set it upstairs. It looks like you're growing up as a defenseman just every game. How quick has that learning curve been for you, and how much more comfortable are you each and every night? Well, it's been really quick because, you know, um, you have to develop quick, but you, you don't get that many opportunities to, to mess up and to be able to stay in the lineup. You know, you have to actually be able to perform um, to stay in the lineup. But uh, it's been really quick. There's, there's a lot of guys that have helped me. And, a lot of details um, that I try to focus on in every game and, and try to things I, I try to do a bye-bye to, to make sure I'm playing you know the best I can. Uh, this week uh, was a significant anniversary in USA Hockey with the uh, 40th anniversary of the 1980 gold medal. Obviously a significant anniversary in your family as well as your father was a big part of that. Uh, what does it mean for you to be the son of a member of that team? Well, you know, it, obviously the 40th anniversary, and I haven't been around for the whole thing, but yeah. uh, for me, it doesn't get old. For my dad, I know it doesn't get old. It's it's pretty cool every year. I mean, it doesn't have to be around the anniversary, but to, to text him about it and ask him about it, um, and just so many stories that I've heard over the years about himself, about guys. Just um, I'm very fortunate. Obviously, he's very fortunate to be in that situation, but I'm very fortunate just to, to be lucky enough to be his son to, uh, to uh, try to follow in his footsteps in, in hockey and and uh, follow, follow all the things that he did in his career. Yeah, that team, does it created a bond that not just the players who are a part of it, but also their families get to share? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, everybody, everybody's linked to it, to it somehow. And um, I know people um, and my dad's teammates, families, obviously because of that, that, that I wouldn't have met. Um, and I've got to experience cool things, um, not because of my accomplishments, but because yeah. of my dad's accomplishments too. So uh, very fortunate. Have you had a chance to go to some of the reunions in the past? I have. You know, they always fall during during my hockey season and whatnot. So um, maybe one day when, when I'm retired and I can start going to those things with my dad. And I, I know uh, my, my one sister, Hannah, um, she didn't play hockey. So she's been able to fortunate enough to, to go to some of those. And it's probably pretty, pretty cool. So I'm pretty jealous. So maybe one day. Uh, you wear his number five. Is that uh, intentional? How much pride do you take in that? Yeah, no, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, I had different numbers um, in college playing forward, but I thought making the switch back to D, my sister wore number five, my dad mm-hmm. wore number five, so something in the family that, that's pretty cool, and I, I feel uh, pretty lucky to be able to wear. As an American hockey player, your father and Dave Christian were two of the first Americans to play a 1,000 games in the NHL. How much, you know, we look at it a generation later, how much did those guys pave the way for guys like you and many of your teammates who've grown up through the uh, USA hockey system and th- the American model? Oh, it's it's crazy. And I mean, obviously, Minnesota, where I'm from, mm-hmm. is, is such a, a hockey-based state, but um, look at all these different cities and states, and uh, you know, look at St. Louis right now, all mm-hmm. the kids that they're producing, because you know, all these guys that play in the NHL, and they go back there and live there, and their kids mm-hmm. are raised there, so it's really cool to see um, the development in the U.S. start going nationwide, not just single states. Was it like growing up in Minnesota, in that culture, in that uh, system where hockey is so much a part of the culture, almost like basketball is here in Indiana, where the high school tournament 
kind of rules the state in March, and and uh, the University of Minnesota is such a big deal. Yeah, no, it's it's this time specifically too. Everybody's playing sections in, in high school, and uh-huh. now we see who made the state tournament. Um, you know, the the Gophers where I played college, they have a their last uh, regular season weekend too to see what, what the Big Ten is. Um, it's so cool. There's there's so many things you follow college, NHL, high school. There's always something on the TV to watch. And um, as a little kid growing up, you had so many people to look up to, whether that was high school, college, or, or professional. Is there a kind of going back to the 1980 team? Is there a, a Herb Brooks story or a story that is a favorite that your father has told that you've kind of carried with you? Yeah, I think I think one funny one that most people don't know is that he didn't have to do the uh, the bag skate. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple of guys that didn't have to actually do that um, because my dad was one of the guys they were, they're thrown out of the game for fighting, so, <laughs> so he didn't have to experience that. What are you? Everybody's seen the clip, the grainy film. Uh, your dad lays a hit in the corner, and that essentially allows uh, you know, Rob McClanahan to come in, get the puck, and clear it. And uh, then, of course, that sets up Al Michaels. Uh, do you believe in miracles? Call what goes through your mind when you see that? Oh, I get chills every single time. And obviously, I've asked my dad many times about that exact moment. He, he just told me he was dead tired. And when, when the, <laughs> I think the puck, he tried to get it out, and it came back around to his his side, and that guy came barreling down on him. He just ran into him. He was just exhausted. So, you know, just just pure happiness. Obviously, when the puck out of the zone, and what a special call. We had another significant visitor who had a hand in a significant moment in sporting history this weekend as Dave Boland joined us on Saturday night. Dave played most of his 10 professional seasons with the Chicago Blackhawks and in the Blackhawks organization. He joined us prior to Saturday's game as our belated Blackhawks night guest. Dave was part of two Stanley Cup winning teams with the Hawks in 2010 and 2013, scoring the cup winning goal in 2013 as the second half of the famed 17 seconds, two goals in 17 seconds, giving the Hawks a come from behind victory in Boston to clinch the Stanley Cup in game six that year. Dave stopped by the broadcast booth on Saturday night to chat with me and Nick Olchek. What have been your impressions of Indy from what you've seen here just to the city and of the rink? Oh, it's awesome. I drove through uh, Indy today. They had the combine. I think they got a few uh, basketball games going on. So it's enough uh, enough sports in the city that, uh, that goes around. So I'm pretty sure uh, hockey is one of them. Uh, looks like the rink is a good size, and I think they get some great fans here. I already met some of the season ticket holders uh, downstairs, so uh, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a good night for uh, for everybody. You played a couple of years in the American Hockey League on your way up to the Blackhawks. What is the importance of having that developmental system to have players have an opportunity to play in the minors before they work their way up to Chicago? Uh, I think it's good. Uh, for me, when I got in my, uh, my first year, uh, it was... Uh, it was a learning curve because all I did was score goals and put the puck in the back of the net in junior, and I think I had about 130 points. So I kind of thought that was going to relate over to the NHL, but it didn't. Uh, it's all about uh, taking care of your own zone, playing defense. Uh, there's special players that can step up, like Patrick Kane and the Crosbys and the Tays, and that can do that. But uh, these East Coast AHL leagues, uh, they're good leagues to uh, to learn. You need to learn, and kids these days need to learn how to play zones, play in their own zone, play their defensive zone, play the middle. So it's a, it's, it's a good league to, to learn and to, to get better and to hopefully build up to get to the NHL. And uh, describe the rise. You're part of two Stanley Cup championship teams with the Blackhawks, but 
you were part of that rise to the Stanley Cup where uh, your first year, your rookie year, you were uh, still kind of on the way up. Your second year, you had a really good playoff series and uh, had an opportunity to get a little deeper into the postseason, but then your third year, a Stanley Cup championship. What was it like, the climb, to get to that point where you were a championship team? Yeah, the uh, the first year was pretty tough. My first opening game, I think we had, uh, sorry, my first game that I played in the NHL, I'm pretty sure we had 3,000, 4,000 fans in the building, and I, I was kind of looking at it like, isn't this an NHL? I thought we were in the NHL. I live in Toronto, so... You go to the Maple Leaf Gardens or the ACC when I was back when I was younger, and the place is packed and wild. Uh, I think your old man would know from yep. playing in Toronto, oh, yeah. but uh, but uh, coming to Chicago it was a, a bit of a difference. Uh, the first year we didn't do too well. I was kind of in Norfolk. I got called up for my one game and went back down to Norfolk and played for uh, the Admirals. Uh, the next year I got bigger, I got better. Uh, I still had a few things I had to learn. Played a few games in Rockford was up and down uh and we made a good run i think we uh i think we lost to um we lost to detroit there in the conference finals there uh and then after that we built it and we had hosts and a few other guys come and we uh we built around that and and we won a stanley cup so it took a it took a little bit of time to to build for it but i think the hawks did a great job by putting us together and building guys up like Bufflin, Frazier, uh, Burrish, guys that were in that AHL uh, affiliate that uh, came up with me and a few other guys that uh, that did well and won a Stanley Cup. You ended up matching up against the other team's top line most nights. How important was it to fill that role and really, you mentioned, pay attention to detail in your own zone, but also take advantage of the opportunities to score when they came? Yeah, uh, I always had the, the lineup. I always matched up with either the Sedin Twins or Joe Thornton or Crosby or whoever that top line was. So uh, I knew I had to be ready. If I wasn't ready, and that could be two or three nothing straight away, and I'd probably be sitting on the bench. But uh, but I took that role pretty uh, pretty serious, uh, and it was nice. I played a lot of minutes. Uh, you look at lines; all the top lines play about twenty minutes. So I was playing up to eighteen, twenty minutes a night. It, was, uh, it gets a little bit tiring, but. Uh, but it was fun, and uh, I had a great time. And I took that role and kind of ran with it, and I think uh, we did some pretty good things. Uh, the last moment you had in a Blackhawks jersey was a pretty iconic one as uh, you score a Stanley Cup winning goal. Seven years later, how much do you take that uh, throughout the rest of your hockey career and your post-hockey career that you're somebody who scored the goal to win your team a Stanley Cup yeah it was huge it was big uh I know I, it just wasn't me I did score the goal but uh we had a lot of other guys that contributed and and, and uh that, that that went along with that uh, that series but uh to, to score that goal and to to bring the Stanley Cup back to uh Chicago was unbelievable I think uh at the end of that period I think we we're all the second sorry going into the the third there and when it was already 2-2 we we're like oh well if we do Whatever happens here, we'll, we'll go home. We'll win it in Chicago, and it'll be nice to – we won the first one away in, in Philly, so the second one well, wasn't too bad. Let's just win it back home, and it'll be good to win one in Chicago. But uh, it changed there pretty quick with that 17 seconds with Bix and I. So, uh, but it was a uh, – it's, it's, a, it's a big moment for Chicago, a big moment for me, but a big moment for the team, and it goes along with it. Yeah, you talk about some of those legendary names, Burris, Sharp, Bufflin, uh, guys that are still playing, guys that are retired, guys that are working for the Blackhawks. Talk about those relationships that you had with those guys, and you know, do you still keep in touch with them? And if that's the case, what are some, some of the maybe the fond memories that you had uh, while you guys were playing together and going through that unbelievable run in those six years? Yeah, there was, uh, there was some good memories, uh, like Burr. 
buff uh, fries. Like we all came up from the HL, so we uh, we were all in the uh, we were all riding the bus, taking long bus trips, having a few beers on the back of the bus, having good times. Uh, but uh, I know Fraz is working for the Hawks now, so he was just in London, Ontario, and I got to see him there, and we got to uh, have a little chat and reminisce about the old days. Uh, Burr, I think Burr's with the team. Uh, Buff's still trying to figure things out. I'm not sure what Buff's doing. He might be fishing up north. But, uh, but yeah, just, I, just being on a team with great guys, and we went to war together, and you knew, you know if anybody's down now or needs help or whatever – there's always that guy that's always around and a text away that would be like, hey, what's going on, man, or how's it going? So uh, we had a great team there. We had a great bunch of guys, and it was just a solid group. Now you talk about the guys, and obviously one of the guys who uh, obviously helped run the team, that being Joel Quinville. What was it like playing for Q? Obviously doing a great job now down in Florida with the Panthers, but uh, he was known as a player's coach, a guy who could be hard on you when he had to be. But just talk about playing for a great coach like that because, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's the type of guy who needs to get the best out of you and he needs to know how to do that. Some guys need extra motivated. Some guys need to be just left alone. And maybe how did, how were the certain ways that he kind of motivated you as a player? Yeah, Q, uh, Q, Q came on to me a little different ways. Uh, he always kicked me in the, the back of the, the butt once in a while when I when I wasn't listening or but Q was great. He was like he said. He's the players' coach. Uh, he knew when uh, when things were going wrong, when to say yeah, no, uh, and when to put me on. But uh, he uh, he knew the spot to put me in and, and where to put me at different times. So I I, I kind of give uh, I give Joel a lot of credit for my accomplishments and put me in that third line role and being that third line player. Uh, he was he was great for me and great for the team. And I know the the guys loved him and. Good luck to him in Florida. Yeah, you had your one last shift with the Blackhawks relatively recently. What was that like um, to say goodbye to the fans and say hello in, in certain you know respects as well, but just to kind of be able to skate around and get that big applause that you got and be on the ice for the anthem? Uh, what was that experience like in the buildup leading to it and then actually when you were there? I'm sure you had goosebumps when you were coming on on the ice. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it was a while since I've been on the ice, so uh, getting back on the ice, I just didn't want to trip and fall, so... Uh, it was unbelievable to be back in the United Center and just or the Madhouse or I'm not sure how many names I got for it now, but uh, but just to get in front of the fans, like Chicago fans are probably one of the best fans in the league, and uh, to get back out there and, and for all the fans going crazy and nuts and screaming and yelling, and uh, it was it was unbelievable. I had my family there, friends as well from London, Ontario, and they just had a blast, and uh, there were no other place to be to end it in Chicago. Describe what uh, you've been doing since you've retired as a player and are now in kind of your post-hockey career. Uh, right now I do a lot of golf. I've been golfing a lot, just uh, working on my handicap. I go down to I join a course in Phoenix, Arizona, so I try to work hard at that. But uh, I think uh, hopefully I'm going to move back here to Chicago and uh, start doing some of the Hawks. Uh, my passion and everything that I did was Chicago. Uh, I wanted to live in Chicago. I wanted to be a Chicago Blackhawks for the rest of my life but hey it's hockey and things happen and I got traded so uh but I want to I want to be do something or help out any way I could with Chicago because uh the fans and the team gave so much to me that I want to give back to them you've done a little bit of work with the London Knights as well with the Hunters what have you been able to take from your NHL career in working with some of the junior players coming up and aspiring to be NHL players themselves. Yeah, no, I help out a little bit with the, the Knights. Uh, Dylan Hunter is a, a really good friend of mine, and his dad runs a team, and he's the assistant coach there. But Dale was uh, Dale was basically a, a second dad to me. I 
lived with Dylan and Dale when I was playing there, and uh, they were great people, and they do great things there in London. So uh, to pass my time when I wake up in the morning and try to figure out something to do, I always go to the rink and hang out with them for a bit, and sometimes I'll hop on the ice, and you'll see some of the young guys there that uh, that are building their way to get to the NHL, and uh, it's, uh, it's a great accomplishment what the Knights do for players because they got me ready, and they got a lot of other players ready to, uh, to get rid of the NHL, and they do a great job there. Memorial Cup champion, World Junior Gold, two Stanley Cups. You look back on your hockey career, and what does that all mean to you as somebody who's had a chance to do a lot of great things? Yeah, I kind of ended my career a little quick here. I think I got 10 seasons, and uh, I was hoping to play 20 seasons and to uh, play a 1,000 games and to do the whole thing, but... It kind of didn't end up like that. I got a bad ankle and a bad back that, that kind of hindered me in that. So, uh, But I'm just glad I won a Memorial Cup, a World Junior, and two Stanley Cups and to, to end it. So uh, I can't be any, uh, any unhappy with that. Talking about that transition from going to playing to life after hockey, very few guys can go out like, let's say, Kimo Team and it did when going out and winning a Stanley Cup. You obviously had a distinguished career, as Andrew just said, but you know, what has that transition been like? And obviously I know that there have been other players that have also retired and gone on to bigger and better things, but just talk a little bit about that transition that you've gone through from, because as a professional hockey player, you have a certain routine every day, right? You wake up, you go to practice, and then on you know game days and whatnot, you have a certain routine, and that all gets thrown out the window eventually when it comes time to call it quit, which everybody does at some point. Oh, it's true, it's true, it does, it does. You, you, you kind of look things now, like, like you said, you wake up at normally... Uh, a given day or a game day, you wake up at 8, you go to the rink, hang out, do your morning skate, have lunch, your pregame meal, come back, have a nap, get ready, do your whole thing. Your, your day is basically planned for you. Nowadays, it's I kind of wake up and if someone wants to go to Phoenix, Arizona and golf, <laughs> I, we kind of book a ticket or if someone's got a plane, we'll hop yeah. on the plane and go to uh, go to Phoenix and uh, yeah. and golf. But uh, for me now, it's like I said, I, I, go, to the, I go to the London Knights uh, rink there and hang out with the Hunters for a bit and Staying with hockey and stay, stay, keep my mind updated with hockey. Uh, I never want to take myself away from hockey, so going there and hanging out. They do video. They watch hockey every day. So the hunters are hockey, hockey, hockey. They're there at 6 a.m. and they don't leave that place till eight, nine o'clock at night. And they're just watching games, either NHL games, AHL games, older guys that they used to have. Uh, so the transition is uh, for guys. It is a little different. Some guys might take it a little harder. Uh, for me, it's Wake up and it's another day. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us here in the booth. Thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. This is fun. And that's our conversation with Dave Boland, Blackhawks veteran. He played 10 seasons in the National Hockey League, 433 NHL games, 208 points, and he was a big-time playoff performer. He, Chris Verstig, and Dustin Bufflin were huge in the Hawks' 2010 playoff run, and Dave Boland had 16 points in 22 games. And he had some big goals, including the cup-winning goal in the 2013 Stanley Cup run as well. And so I want to thank him for joining us last weekend and, of course, giving us the opportunity to bring this interview to you on this edition of Under the Hood. Also want to thank Dan Bacala, Alex Router, and Jack Ramsey for joining us over the weekend and on this edition of Under the Hood. The fuel of a big week coming up Thursday night against Wheeling with a 7.05 p.m. face-off for all-you-can-eat night. Then back home 
7.35 p.m. Friday night against Toledo for Faith and Family Night. Those two games cap off a five-game homestand with some important standings points hanging in the balance. Get your tickets now at all Ticketmaster outlets, the Indiana Farmers Coliseum box office, and of course... You can get your ticket information at IndyFuelHockey.com for both games. Enjoy some great hockey. If you can't make it to the Coliseum, Nick Olchek and I will have the call for you for both nights at IndyFuelHockey.com slash radio and on ECHL TV. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Under the Hood. I am the broadcast voice of the fuel, Andrew Smith. We'll see you at the rink. Thanks for going Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. For more... Keep visiting IndieFuelHockey.com.